Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined again by Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune. We are here at TCO Performance Center where the Vikings are about to wrap up one of the last practices of the preseason before wrapping up the preseason Saturday in Denver. Um, We'll talk about what we expect to see there, who's playing for jobs. Uh, Will we see Nick Mullins or not, the new potential backup quarterback for Kirk Cousins and we will also get into um, the roster. The 53-man roster has to be decided upon the initial one next Tuesday. So let's just start out with the move that was made earlier this week. The Vikings trade for Nick Mullins after seeing Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion in a second preseason game. And Ben, you wrote about it after that game against the Niners that, in I mean, Kevin O'Connell put voice to it and saying, like, in his own nice way, we're not really seeing what we want to see out of these yeah. backups that we got. Yeah, that- yeah. I asked him the last question in the press conference on Saturday night after the game. Just asked him, um, are you comfortable with your backup quarterback situation as it currently exists? And he kind of goes, well, we, you'd like to have guys come out here and, and move the ball and score a bunch of points. And he said the clock is, is going and um, you know we need to see something here fairly soon. Obviously, the clock was – further along than he even he let on on Saturday night but when he answered that question that way it was like okay they are not happy or at least not comfortable with what they have so for them to go out and make a trade like they did especially for a guy that Quasi Adolfo Mensa has been with in a couple of spots I think tells you plenty about how comfortable they felt or uncomfortable they felt with that group and they are playing it out this week and you know, they're talking about, well, it's still an open competition, but you're not making that trade. I don't think I, I would be stunned if Nick Mullins is not the backup uh, based on the, the fact that you made the trade right after that game. It, it looked kind of like a, a reflection of the way Sean Mannion and, and probably more so Kellen Mond played because Kellen Mond was especially troubling on Saturday night. So, um, I would be stunned if Nick, Nick Mullins is not the backup. Then the question, I suppose, becomes, do you cut bait on Kellen Mond after two training camps? This is not the regime that drafted him, of course, and there was lots of question about the regime that did, and you hear things about you know, how much did they really like him, how much was it trying to let ownership know that they were trying to take a quarterback. There's all sorts of those questions that you hear chatter about that may never get resolved, but Kellen Mond's future is going to be, I think, one of the more interesting subplots of the next few days as they make their final decisions. I mean, they could cut him and have no problems getting him on the practice squad. I think squad, that's probably right? true. Yeah. Yeah, and I would just assume, based on the way that he played and has played, especially because he had made some throws we talked about in that uh, Raiders game, but some of those decisions that he was making in the Niners game, uh, especially that last interception where he lops it up, and we, we talked to him in the locker room after the game, and Kellen Mond, you know, he alluded to the fact that the receiver he was throwing to, Jalen Naylor, didn't maybe run the right – he was running a fade route, but it wasn't really a good fade route. But it's it was still, more of a go. It didn't it, push to the corner. But then don't throw the ball. Exactly, yeah. He, Mond said, like, well, he released inside, and then obviously he did admit, like, I put that ball up for the safety to make the easiest pick, and it was a terrible mistake on my part. And that's what it comes down to, is, is him not being able, at this point in his second year – 
to make good decisions in some of these preseason games. And you can't trust that if you need a spot start from somebody. And Nick Mullins, I believe, has 17 spot starts, had a run with San Francisco a couple years ago where I think he started eight games. Um, and as you'd mentioned, his ties to Quasey. Quasey knows all about him. Mullins followed Quasey to Cleveland when Cleveland has some quarterback issues and COVID hit their locker room. And Mullins started a game last year for them. You know, it's his record's not great, but it rarely is for spot starters. And so what I found interesting is that the first full practice they had with Mullins getting there, Mullins was not prepared to take any team snaps, obviously still learning the playbook, but they basically held Kellen Mond out. It was just Sean Mannion getting the backup reps with those guys. So if there is any competition, I guess it's only with Sean Mannion. Yeah, and it may be that you're saying we are going to do what you alluded to. We're going to cut Kellen Mond, get him through to the practice squad, try to continue to develop him in this scheme as opposed to last year's when obviously last year there wasn't a lot of interest in developing Kellen Mond based on what we have heard from the former head coach about him. So you could do that and then say, which one of these veterans are we going to keep? But yeah, if you end up in a situation where Kirk Cousins misses a month and you need somebody that you can come in and say, we can go two and two with this guy. I mean, because that's probably mostly what you're looking at. You're not always going to find the Case Keenum. I mean, that we saw that five years ago. The the year of the Revenge of the Nerds backup quarterback edition in the NFL with Case Keenum going 13-3 and three and then losing, of course, to backup quarterback Nick Foles, who then goes and takes down Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. It was like the NFL's edition of a John Hughes movie where the nerdy guy gets the girl that entire season in the NFC, I guess. But that's not normal. The thing you're usually looking for is can this guy – get us through a month. And with the way Kellen Mond played on Saturday night, I don't think they would feel comfortable with that prospect of if our starter goes down, we can get through a few games and at least keep ourselves afloat with Kellen Mond. What'll be interesting is if they don't think Nick Mullins is ready to play on Saturday, then you're just kind of basically making this trade and saying, well, we feel so if they keep him for that as the backup, they're basically just saying, well, we felt so bad about our options that we're just going to take basically a dart throw on this guy being able to learn our offense and be ready whenever we need him to be ready. The nine passes he threw against us in a game are better than the ones we saw from our own guys in practice. Exactly, exactly. And you hear backups talk about talk all the time about how you can't really be developed during the regular season because these things are always scaled back and then the reps always go to the starters. You're running scout team stuff. You're pretending to be the opposing quarterback for the starting defense. You, you are not running necessarily the offense. So Mullins comes in here without any kind of real ramp up of getting to learn the offense in this kind of setting they'll get two weeks of practice before week one but again like I said it all shifts to Green Bay in terms of the focus to get the starters ready so if he can't play Saturday we're gonna have to see Kellen Mond again and if he does play Saturday I wonder if we will see Kellen Mond yeah I I think all of these are going to be very interesting questions to watch throughout the rest of the week or at least as interesting as they get before the last preseason game (laughs) interesting is we are we are we have our nose in this stuff every day so other people might look at this as you guys are going to talk about the backup quarterback derby and the switch at punter (laughs) time to talk about week one against the Packers yet been talking about it all summer the backup quarterback job we have uh we are we are deep 
in the dog days of the preseason at this point. Well, I don't expect to see any, regardless of whether Mullins plays, I don't expect to see, obviously, any starters. Uh, I, yeah, I would agree with that. On I Saturday. Think. I mean, that's the track record the Rams have, have done, and that seems to be what O'Connell's doing um, and putting voice to in saying that, hey, these joint practices have all but replaced the preseason action we would get because they don't want to get these guys hurt. So who are going to be the guys that are playing for roster spots or what positions do you see as the most uh, competitive at this point? We do know they made a decision at punter. Yes. They decided to cut Jordan. They decided to cut Jordan Barry for now. It could always change. That's we, true. We, you, I was looking at this today <laughs> of all of these punter changes this four and five years, I think this is at least the third, maybe the fourth that has been done like in the last week of August or later, because Ryan Quigley, I think, was um, – well, I think maybe – no, they, Ryan Quigley got cut from Matt Weil yep. right and, at the end. And then they brought Britton Colquitt in off waivers. Yes, yes. I believe. Britton Colquitt was right after the 53-man cut down as well, because I think we ended up breaking that story. Um, you got an interesting tip on that, which we'll we'll keep that to ourselves. But, yeah, that was an interesting little stretch that weekend. Um, and then – which one am I missing? Um, Jordan Berry. Yeah, then they moved on from uh, Colquitt at the end of last right. camp. Yes. And brought in Jordan Berry. Yep. And then now Jordan Berry. This is actually early by <laughs> That's true. the track record they've had lately. <laughs> they are uh, doing this maybe four or five days earlier than they have. But, yeah, they have made a lot of late puncher switches. And, of course, we are forgetting about what our buddy Matthew Collar likes to refer to as the Corey Viedvik era <laughs> um, when they made that trade for him. So, yeah, they've made a lot of switches with punters, and now it's a switch with a holder, which Greg Joseph has had a great camp, but he's looked better with Jordan Berry holding for him than he has with Ryan Wright. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I, aside from that, I think guys that have things to prove this weekend, you know, and this isn't to make the roster, but Lewis Seen, I think, would be a name I'd put fairly high on the list because I, I think right now, it looks like it's going to be Cam Bynum's job. I, I don't think Seen is getting a lot of the first-team reps that would befit a guy that is kind of ascending and they're saying he's ready to take this job. I think he would have to probably show something to make you say he's going to be ready to start or at least ready to be a bigger part of the defense than a sub package. I'm, I'm curious about him. Uh, I continue to be curious about... The rest of that secondary, how those corners shake out, especially with, with Andrew Booth being hurt, I think it's a good opportunity for guys like Chris Boyd, um, you know, guys like uh, Caleb Evans, Caleb Evans, yeah, yeah. yeah who, who had a nice moment uh, in the run stop last week. I mean, Evans is going to make the team, given where he was picked. But you know, a guy like Boyd, I think, I think he'll make the team as well, but not somebody this regime drafted. So we already saw them move on from Harrison Hand earlier this week. So some of those Mike Zimmer holdover types are probably fighting for their, their spot. I think fighting against maybe somebody that has played in this defense before that may be available on waivers. So guys like that that are trying to play for a spot I, I think are, are worth watching because that's the other thing to remember is that this, yes, it's a battle between guys on this roster, but especially when it's a new staff, and there are probably more guys around the league that have played in this system than are on the current roster. You are competing with everybody else that is about to hit the waiver wire in a few days. So these sort of camp battle things of who's winning the internal thing, that's only part of the story everybody needs to remember here. There's going to be 
probably more waiver pickups than maybe we've seen in the past few years. If there are guys out there that they feel like fit, um, I, I think there's a lot to be gleaned there. And then the other, I guess the other big one is Jesse Davis versus uh, Ed Ingram at right guard. I mean, we've seen Ed Ingram have some great moments, but last week he didn't look quite as sharp. So, um, again, both those guys are going to be on the team, but how does that starting spot shake out? How do they play this the last few days? I'm curious to see that as well. That, that right guard one is interesting to me, and it's obviously a lightning rod with Vikings fans because they've started. We got punchers, we got backup quarterbacks, we got right guard. They're hitting all <laughs> the juicy storylines here on Access Vikings today. They've started, I think this will be their 18th different guard in the last six years, and no matter who it is, if it's Davis or Ingram, just to start a game for them in the regular season. Uh, it's just such a revolving door that it seems to me like they obviously take Ingram in the second round because they want him to be a contributor. They want him to start and play for them. It's just a matter of when. And shelving Davis the way that they have for the last couple weeks where he's kind of been you know, nursing a, a knee issue that, as Ben, you've talked about, has gone back a year or two. Um, but I wonder how much of it's actually shelving him for health's sake or how much of it is just wanting to give Ed Ingram as much run as possible up to the regular season so that he is ready as possible to take over that yeah. job if they don't think it's right away. Yeah, yep. yeah, I, I think you you probably used your time. I mean, they have clearly approached preseason reps differently. There's been less of this um, deference to the starters. I mean, they, they haven't used the starters at all. I mean, the starting offensive line has played a little bit, but even – in some of the combinations they've used, it's we want to see guys in game situations, not so much as we want to get our starters work. I, I think their approach, whether it was the joint practices with the 49ers or even today, you know, the scrimmage type practice that they're doing today, um, they have felt like we can get the requisite work for our starters to get them prepared for the regular season on the practice field. The preseason games are much more of kind of a, a litmus test for backups than they probably have been in the past. And there's always an element of that, but when when you're just basically saying, I mean, even last week, it, it was not Sean Mannion is the number two quarterback, so he's starting again. It's We want to see Kellen Mond start because we want to evaluate him, how he starts the game. There is less concern with the message you're sending by who starts, who's taking first team reps, all that kind of stuff in preseason games than there has been in the past. So as we recalibrate all of these things, that's also noticeably different. Yeah, and a lot of run for rookies, obviously, in these preseason games because of those veterans who are resting. And Davis has been one of those guys who started with the first-team offensive line in uh, Las Vegas yep. and then was held out with the, with the other starters in that game against San Francisco. So we'll have to see what their plans are there. I would, I'm really interested to see how many wide receivers they keep and who they're going to be. I think it's pretty obvious that BC Johnson's on the team. Yeah, kind of sneaked back into the uh, into the mix with a lot of. I mean, just kind of doing what he does. A lot of big nine ten yard receptions when you need something. Yeah, when they put the starting offense out there in Las Vegas, um, they obviously held out Thielen and Jefferson, but it was KJ and BC yep. going out there. And he's just a reliable, you know, for whatever he lacks in terms of just that transcendent athletic talent. They think he's smart, reliable, can play multiple positions, all those things. Kind of the opposite of what you've seen out of Amir Smith-Marset, who is talented, elusive, which is why they want him to be that punt returner, yet he has not been able to grab that job, at least at this point from what we've seen. 
And you would think his talent's enough to keep him as like that fifth receiver yeah. on the spot. Do they keep six? And if they do, who would it be? And is, is that, as you said, is that person even on the roster right now? Yeah, they may not be. I mean, you have guys like, from a special teams perspective, Jalen Naylor, track guy, Dan Chisena, track guy, that may have value because of their speed, given the fact they're both track guys. Um, yeah, of course. But it is not a guarantee in the sense that you probably have other receivers around the league that maybe are more valuable to you as a pure receiver than these guys could be just from what they've shown. I I think special teams will have something to say about some of these final spots. Um, what you can get. I mean, Dan Chisena has shown he's a pretty good punt coverage guy on special teams. He, he's played a big role with those units in the past. So that may keep a guy like him around uh, a little bit longer. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that anybody really has grabbed that job, that that probably wide receiver for – I mean, B, it's probably B.C. Johnson, um, like you're saying. But beyond that, there's not anybody you feel completely comfortable with. So, And maybe wide receiver five. How many teams feel great about wide receiver five? It, it's, well, probably more than you think because there's enough receivers out there in this day and age. But uh, we're nitpicking a little bit terms of the issue I guess is what I'm saying but um, yeah it is going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because I, I think you'll see more three receiver sets than we've seen in the last couple of years you'll see that mean the fourth guy probably gets a little more run um, it's worth keeping an eye on how that shakes out in the next few days here too yeah and, and from where Kevin O'Connell comes from the Rams have kept six wide receivers on their 53 every year Sean McVay's been there you would presume the Vikings would be trying to set up a similar uh, setup, but they need those guys to contribute on special teams. And so if Amir Smith-Marset's not the punt returner, who is? Yeah, and that I mean, we asked Matt Daniels about that a little bit the other day, and he said it's harder to make a kick returner be a punt returner, I think, than, than the alternative. He just basically said punt returners, it's a different thing in the sense that you have to be you know, kind of – one eye on the coverage, one eye on the ball. You have to be elusive, make the first guy miss. It's a different task than a kick return when you're coming from behind a wedge and you have plenty of room to get ahead of steam. It, it, you're not usually having to make a guy miss. Well, you're never having to make a guy miss within um, seconds of catching the ball. So it is a different skill set, and I think if it's not Amir Smith-Marset, it's hard to see right now who – that would be. So maybe that's another one where you try to go find somebody. I do wonder, too, if they would just go back to KJ. Yeah, you might have to, at least for for the short term. Yeah, and I know he's going to play a big role on offense. Maybe that's why they don't want him doing it and why they haven't given him the reps this summer. But because he's done it throughout a year before, I know Westbrook was the guy last year, but KJ is a rookie. He held that job down. He at least makes sound decisions for the most part, even though he might not be the most dynamic athlete in terms of shaking people. Um, but Amir, I talked to him after the game against the Niners and he admitted, he's like, I got to do better with my decision-making. There was one where he let it bounce and roll. And basically the punt got an extra 10 yards because he was waving people off instead of just calling for a fair catch and killing the ball right yep. where it landed. He's saying, I got it. You know, it's stuff like that. It's not even just the fumble that he had as well on another return. Um, and Matt Daniels also spoke to that the other day of saying his decision-making is just not there yet. Yep. And they've got – they don't have a lot of time. <laughs> so no, they don't. I, I do I do wonder if their break glass in case of emergency guy is KJ. Yeah. Um, it, it would just make sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a good point with what he told you after the game because 
that is the stuff they're getting evaluated on. We look at, okay, what's the what's the flashy return? How much of a home run threat can the guy be? But special teams coordinators are looking at hidden yards, and if guys are making bad decisions that back you up, they are 100% being evaluated on that. That's what kept Marcus Sherrill's around here as long as he did. And he had the opportunity and certainly had the ability to hit home runs at times and, and did. I think he is first in team history in punt return touchdowns, so we're not saying that he couldn't do that. But the thing that kept him here is they trusted he was going to make the right decision just about every time he got the ball. I mean, there there was not a concern about him fumbling. There was not a concern about him making bad decisions about fair catches versus you know waving people off and letting it try to, to go into the end zone for a touchback. All of that stuff, they felt comfortable with him. So, And he ended up playing you know, almost a decade here on seemingly a different contract every year. So that is really, really hard to do in the NFL. And it speaks to his ability to survive simply by just being smart and doing the right things. And that is going to have a big factor in this decision, I think. And we just heard from Kevin O'Connell. We're coming back from his press conference uh, mid-podcast. Amazing how we do that. And he basically said that the He start- pulled us in another room and gave us all the, to- all the us, scoops. <laughs> told us everything. Basically said what we all assume, that the starters, uh, most of them at least, won't be playing in Saturday's game against the Broncos. He was noncommittal about whether or not Nick Mullins is going to play, saying that the physical part of it's not as important as the mental part when it comes to the quarterback stuff. Ben, what he was saying made me think that Nick Mullins is not going to play. Yeah, I think that is probably true. Just because he said the part about, well, he's played already yep. in the preseason. Yep. We yep. saw him, even though it wasn't our offense, I respect Josh McDaniel's offense in, in Las Vegas, and Nick Mullins has also started a lot of games. Like It just seemed like he was basically saying, you know, he'll get a few reps today, Thursday in practice. I don't know how a guy's going to get traded and five days later be running the offense no. on a preseason game. No, that'd be a little hard to to do even if there is some similarities it's just you can't do it there's too many details too many changes in the language it I don't think would happen I don't think it'd make a ton of sense they see and I don't disagree necessarily with this they seem to look at the preseason as the NFL makes us do this Um, we might as well get something out of it to evaluate the players on the roster but I I mean the fact that he said what he said about 40 and 50 reps for starters in what sounds like it's basically going to be a scrimmage in TCO Stadium today. Um, I don't know that we'll ever see the starters play much in the preseason under Kevin O'Connell. I I think this being the baseline, we can assume for the next however many years he's the coach that this is probably how they'll approach it. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll make decisions on guys in the back of the roster, but to play this out, if you think Nick Mullins is the backup quarterback and you feel a strong need to keep him healthy, it would also stand a reason that you wouldn't play him in that game either. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we won't see him. I think it'll be Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond one more time to see uh, who stays in the organization in some capacity. Yeah, who's worth keeping on the practice squad, I guess, right? Yep. Um, between those two guys – how that's how that competition has fallen. Um, Kevin O'Connell also wasn't very uh, committal either way on whether or not we're going to see Lewis Seen or Andrew Booth. Those guys are both nursing leg injuries, a knee injury for Seen, an ankle injury for Booth. Um, 
Booth got hurt in that game. Uh, Seen must have gotten hurt in that game because he didn't practice after that. Yeah, he had a, a wrap on his on his knee the other day. So, yeah, I think it must have happened in the game. I think um, Kevin O'Connell mentioned that they're not going to practice today with the hope that maybe they'll be ready to go by Saturday, but he didn't seem very confident in that either. So I don't know if we're going to see those two rookies out there um, so that might put a damper on Scene's ability to take that starting job from Cam Bynum, who's who's had a strong camp, I think, and in, in decent preseason next to Harrison Smith when he has played. Uh, obviously, Smith hasn't, but Bynum starting next to Scene in at least one of those games. The and, message we are sending to you, Vikings fans, is you should be thankful for years like this one when your 10-game season ticket package includes nine <laughs> that count. Next year... Can't help you out as much, but this year you get nine that count. Not it's going to be some minor league baseball out there on Saturday uh, at what do they call it? Empower Field now in Denver. Yeah, I know <laughs> they don't call it. They don't call it mile. Do they call it mile high? Still, I'm just going to call it mile high. It should be mile. Yeah, high. I'm going to call you caddy. <laughs> um, but other than that, let's talk about what we will be seeing out there because there are going to be fans. And if you're listening to a, a Access Vikings podcast in late August. You're probably going to be watching, especially if you're this far into an Access Vikings <laughs> podcast in late August. You are you are here to get into the weeds with us, so we are here to give you what you came for. You were here for the Ty McGill breakdown, and <laughs> here we go. We we are definitely going to talk about yeah this 53 man roster. Who some of the tougher decisions we expect? We got into the wide receiver stuff a little bit. Um, where else do we see some of the more difficult decisions being made? And I think defensive tackle might be one of them. Yeah. I think we know for sure. Now with this 3-4, you got three down linemen. Typically, 3-4 teams can keep six, five or six of those interior guys. Um, I, it's hard for me to see T.Y. not have playing himself into yeah, that roster. I would agree. He's got three and a half sacks in two games. He's been very disruptive even outside of those plays. When Could it probably had a, another one or two on Saturday. Yeah, when it comes to the pass, certainly he did have one play on the run where it was a Niners uh, dropped, botched snap that he's like benching the center into the backfield on. So he's at least shown out in some of these games where I wonder if they're going to keep a guy like Jalen Twyman or do they knock him out for a James Lynch? Um, I think they've had James Lynch as that primary backup to Harrison Phillips, yep. uh, not the DN that he uh, spot that he had played at Baylor, but more of that interior nose yeah. spot. They were kind of. I mean, the the previous regime was kind of messing with that a little bit with lunch last year too. So this is kind of a continuation of that to some degree. Yeah. So Watts is still held on to the starting job opposite Dalvin Tomlinson at the DN spot. So your backups then would be Jonathan Bullard. Seems to have played his way onto the roster as well. I thought he played well Saturday night too. Yeah, I would agree. He's probably here. Yeah. So he's maybe, and he also when they go into like more of a jumbo like bear front whatever where they have four down linemen. And those edge guys, they seem to always put Bullard into that as that first guy off the bench kind of role. Um, so then that leaves basically just James Lynch, Jalen Twyman, uh, T.Y. McGill, um, the, uh, Sezi Otumewu, the, the ex-gopher that they brought in in the fifth round. So to me, that's a tough spot, but I think T.Y. might have nudged Jalen Twyman out. Yeah, I, I mean – Twyman may be a guy you can sneak through to the practice squad too, and they may want to see some more from him developing after that. You know, this is really the first full offseason he's had after after getting shot last year. So I could see that being a guy they say let's develop him a little more. But yeah, it is really hard to see T.Y. McGill not on this team if you 
by the preseason as being indicative of what a guy can do. And he's been really disruptive. I mean, it's it's been – he almost chased – I can't remember which quarterback it was, but chased, almost chased somebody down for a sack on Saturday night. And Yeah, it's just – he's been in the backfield a lot. So I think he's done everything he can to make his case for a spot. And he's a guy that has been around the league enough, I think, to – say we can project some of this based on what we've seen him do there's enough track record with him that you're not it's not a mystery in terms of what he brings to the table it's a crazy story i mean it's this is like i think his ninth team in eight eight years um he's bounced around i think mark craig caught up with him after the game on saturday and he mentioned he's been cut like 13 times because some of the teams he's been on twice (laughs) It's just it's insane to 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 live that life and love football that much to keep chasing it. He's 29 years old. He's not, you know, he's certainly he's the exact definition of journeyman. Yes, that, that is pretty uh, from the textbook definition of that phrase. And my favorite fact about T. Y. McGill is that the Y stands for nothing. <laughs> Did you catch this? No. So in his interview, everybody was like, they looked up his wiki and it was like, your name's, uh, it's actually escaped me what his name is, but it starts with a T and there's no, there's no reference to what the Y is. And when he was asked about it at, in the locker room afterward, he like goes, oh, not this again. <laughs> he goes like the Y doesn't stand for anything. Basically he was called, uh, his father had the same uh, first name. And so he was basically just called Ty growing up. And then he just kind of changed it growing up to T.Y. And then you'll see when he has a sack, he does the he stole the T.Y. Hilton from when he was in Indy. Yep. He stole the T.Y. Hilton sack celebration where he does the T.Y. with his arms. Um, but the Y stands for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he probably had to tell that story to yep. a, about half of the beat writer cores in the NFL <laughs> in various preseasons, I would guess. Anytime he's probably talked to somebody at training camp, he's probably told that story. Yep. So <laughs> that's this again. Shout out J. Ron Curse. That might be when we get asked, you know, in early August about who's the guy who's going to come out of nowhere to make the roster. There's your answer. I think it's going to be T. I think it's going to be T.Y. McGill. Um, you brought up the corners earlier. I I think Chris Boyd probably makes it as the sixth corner. Yeah, I, I tend to be on that side of it as well just because he's at least contributed on special teams for the vikings a lot in the past um i have him being the sixth guy behind a caleb evans andrew booth Shannon sullivan cam dantzler and patrick peterson the safeties i would think they'd go with four and keep josh metellus as the fourth one yeah special teams obviously playing into that as well and he's him. made some plays yeah. um he had that great foot was it a fourth or third down stop where he ripped the ball out of juan jennings hands yeah. against the niners yeah um, he's made some plays as well. So that one seems kind of cut and dry. The edge ones is, is interesting because right now, obviously they've got Patrick Jones and DJ Wanham as the main backups, but Janarius Robinson hasn't done a whole lot, but he's also just a, I believe second year player. And he had his whole first year derailed by a, a season ending injury. So this is really his first chance to, to have a full summer. And I, he doesn't play on special teams. So I'm wondering, like, do they have Luigi Villain in there, Zach McLeod, or do they keep just what they view might be a higher ceiling in Janarius Robinson? Yeah, I mean, that that I think is going to be one of those questions to, to look at because I, Patrick Jones, to me, is a guy that has done enough to make the team. And that was one of the questions, can this guy make the conversion to 3-4 and be an edge out there? He's been impressive. I, I think has, he's caught my eye more than I expected given – how he looked in year one and it's a different system of course but yeah I, I think 
the four edges that you mentioned, Wanham, Jones, and obviously the, the two stars, Hunter and, and Smith, they're here. And then, yeah, the, the question with Janarius Robinson is, did they see the same things that the previous regime did when they took him? And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a special teams will have a lot to say about a lot of these final calls because you need those guys to play in a number of different roles and, and you need a guy that can be able to, to improvise and have maybe a little bit more of a diverse skill set given all of the different roles that you have to play on special teams and just different spots, different body positions you have to find yourself in. So uh, linebackers, I tend to think, I mean, guys that are kind of traditional linebackers, um, maybe built more like traditional linebackers, probably have a little bit of an advantage there. Um, you know, that That's not exclusive to say that that's going to be the way it goes. But, yeah, there is a little more of a, a jump for a guy like Janarius Robinson, I think, to play special teams and show that he could potentially contribute there. Now, I might be wrong, but I think it's a realistic possibility, speaking of Patrick Jones, that the other three third-round picks from that from last year's third round are get cut all gone yes i've i've thought that as well when i look at those interior linebackers they had on saturday night against the niners they had troy die running the huddle with the green dot relaying the plays in the first half second half they had chaz surratt doing it and i just don't think chaz surratt's played that well through these two preseason games we haven't seen a lot from him in camp they're obviously going to keep Brian Osamoa in that group. But I do wonder if they go with just four interior linebackers there with just Dye and Osamoa being those backups and special teamers and cutting Blake Lynch, cutting Chaz Surratt. And then if they cut Kellen Mond, and I think it's they're definitely going to cut Wyatt Davis. Um, one guy is left from that third round yeah. last yeah. year. Yeah, you would you would basically have of their first five picks in that draft – you would have two of them still on the roster because you would basically be uh, Patrick Jones and then Christian Derrissaw. So um, you know, that it's a pretty stunning kind of desecration of that draft. And that draft created a lot of tension between Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. Um, that would probably be one in the end where Zim would look at it and say, see, this is why I was upset. Yeah, it's not a great way to go out for Rick Spielman. No, no. <laughs> not not going to carry on his legacy very well in Minnesota with that draft. Christian Darris obviously looks like a great top pick. But He'll flex the Justin Jefferson pick forever. <laughs> and you got the Eagles passing on Justin Jefferson, uh, the gift that keeps on giving for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, on offense, it's pretty thin across the board outside of the skill talents. I don't know about o-line or tight end are there going to be any surprises that we see there it seems like zach davidson has played his way off the roster yeah he, at tight end he had a spot and wasn't able to hang on to it he, wow <laughs> he really was not because um, they got obviously irv smith will be ready by all accounts for the regular season johnny munt and then do they keep ben ellison or claim somebody off waivers for a third tight end spot i'm not sure ty chandler with their deepest positions running back yes. And I wonder if they are going to be forced to keep five backs, including C.J. Ham, with Ty Chandler behind Kenny Wong. Yeah, Chandler's been splashy enough that probably somebody would – they'd probably be worried that somebody would pick him up. Um, yeah, do you keep him at least initially to not have to expose him to waivers and then you know make it so that 
you do try to sneak him through later, it's maybe not at a point where there's as much of a feeding frenzy. I mean, that could be the thought process. Um, everybody keeps asking about an Alexander Madison trade. I don't see it. Um, I just I think you have a guy there that has shown he can step in and start, and you have a starter in Dalvin Cook who has had a lot of wear on the tires the last few years and typically has missed a game or two. So Madison, I still think, I mean, yes, he's in a contract year. Yes, you might be able to get something for him. I just, I don't know that you've seen enough from Wangwu and Chandler to think those guys could step in and be the bell cow. And maybe they wouldn't have to be the bell cow in the same way in this offense that they went under Mike Zimmer. But I I still think Madison probably is durable enough and reliable enough that you keep him. That's such a bad take. And I've heard, I've seen it on social media about mine tra- or the no, people no, 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 no. I'm saying the people. <laughs> I thought you were just like, no, everything pe- you said just sucked. No, 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 no. I agree with you that yeah. trading him's a bad idea and it's such a bad take. Everybody just being like, let's trade this guy for what? Who, who is going to trade more than like a seventh round pick? For a one-year rental at running back, he's in a contract year. Yes, he's shown he can play decent against some bad teams as a starter. I think Madison's a good back, but those guys are a dime a dozen in the NFL. You see the Niners take third-round backs every year because they're just going to keep – or their sixth-round pick, Elijah Mitchell, ends up being the guy for them. They're just going to keep cycling – smart teams will keep cycling that position, and I just don't understand why somebody would give up a pick that they can handpick their guy, even if it's a late round pick for somebody again, who's a one year rental. And with Dalvin cook's injury history, you almost have to expect Madison's not, not going to be a backup for you. He's going to be a starter for you at some point in the regular season. It's such a bad take. Well, and if Nick, <laughs> if Nick Mullins, a guy who started like 17 games in the league as a quarterback gets a conditional seventh, you can't assume that a running back is going to, that somebody's like, Oh, third round pick. I mean, if you find somebody to do God, that no. deal, do it. No, no, Great. that's never going to happen. But it's not going to happen. No, it'll be so. like a late-round pick swap, yes. if, if anything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, if you found some sucker that said, I'm giving you a day-two pick or even an early day-three pick, do it, but good luck finding that offer. Yeah, 0% chance of that happening. So. Show me that farm. <laughs> third and fourth-round picks just ripe for the plucking. The, the Show la- me that farm. The last spot, I Michael think, Scott. offensive line – Who's we we've discussed the right guard spot, but who's going to be their swing tackle? Rashad Hill, our guy, <laughs> is gone. is no longer here, and they've had Oli Udo and Blake Brandle working at those backup tackle spots. I if I had to guess right now, I think they cut Oli Udo. I agree. I like, think it's Blake Brandle. A year after starting him at right guard, I think they cut Oli Udo because he hasn't shown that well in some of these preseason games or camp. And I, yeah, I think they keep Blake Brandle. We heard Wes Phillips talk him up the other day. Um, coaches in general have talked up his versatility of playing guard and tackle for them. He came in as a tight end, extra blocker at times last year for them. I think he's going to be your swing tackle. And then I wonder if they keep Vidarian low, their sixth round pick as a fourth tackle in that group. Then it just comes down to, are you cutting Schlotman? I don't think they're going to cut Chris Reed. Yeah, I mean, that'd be the question to me is, do you do that to say, we've already got Jesse Davis. We, we feel good about Schlotman. We feel good about Brandle. Do we try to save some money? I mean, that that'd be the the reason that you'd think about it with Reed. But um, again, that you'd also could say they signed him because they saw a role. 
So yeah, and and if they're trying to trying to groom him at center, but we didn't see it go all too well at yeah, times. He's been hurt. He was part of some botch snaps too yes. with Kellen Mond. Where yes. me as a former center, I always say it's the quarterback's fault. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think Kevin O'Connell at one point in the summer after all those botch snaps said each one tells its own story, and I'm like, that's right, it's the quarterback's that's, fault. That sounds like a uh, <laughs> that sounds like a Kirk Cousins line. Each each uh, game is its own entity, or each season yep. is its own entity. Yep. Um, so I, the O line spot. It, I think it comes down to the interior and which ones you're going to end up keeping for those backup roles. Cause they'll keep Davis and Ingram. It's just Reed or Schlotman. If they keep four tackles, if they don't and cut low, then maybe they keep more of the guys on the interior. So we'll see. We basically we'll just nailed the 53 man. We, we really did. The final answers are, are right here on this podcast. We so really stuck around. If you, if you have 53 man roster pools with your friends over the weekend and, and who doesn't, um, you can thank us and maybe toss us, a little finder's fee. The last question, and this, this can be a, a nugget for people who stuck around. I want to get your opinion on who has more receiving yards this year. And I think it's a legitimate question. Adam Thielen or KJ Osborne? Boy, that's an interesting question because a lot of Thielen's targets are going to be five yard red zone type things. I mean, he's, he's kind of turned into like the Chris Carter to Jefferson's Randy Moss late in his career where, Hey, you need something in a pinch that's we we got eight yards and we need the toe tap along the sidelines or just somebody finding space in the in the red zone. He's become that. I whereas Osborne, I think he's going to be more of a downfield target. Um, I would go Osborne. I think for yards, I I think Thielen's role is going to be more underneath stuff. And this is not to say that he can't do it because he's shown throughout his career that he can be a downfield threat. I just I think they are going to look toward Jefferson a lot, and I think you're going to see the other guys have fewer of those opportunities. I think Osborne will have more of them downfield than Thielen will. And uh, Thielen could have a stat line where it's like, you know, probably similar to last year where it's six or 700 yards, but he scores nine or ten touchdowns. I mean, if you're if you're looking for fantasy advice that way, he's still valuable in that Cousins trusts him a lot in the red zone and he's going to get those targets. So, uh, But, yeah, I would agree with you that I think that's – I think you're setting up the question with the <laughs> yep. belief that Osborne is the answer. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think it goes against some conventional wisdom and thinking, obviously, that, that – Osborne's K- at a good camp, That too. KJ's the two, but with how good KJ's looked, with how good throughout Kirk Cousins' career he's been at targeting the slot and getting a lot out of that spot – um, with some of the catch and run possibilities that at this point KJ is a more dynamic athlete than Thielen in his 30s. Uh, I think Thielen's role, like you said, is going to be more short yardage and certainly in the red zone where he's always been good. Um, I, I just I would be shocked if we get to a point where Adam Thielen is just racking up the yardage because all that attention is going to be shifted to Justin Jefferson and they're going to look to get their dynamic athletes the ball underneath. And out of the slot, I think KJ, like you said, good camp, connection with cousins um yeah i I would have to lean kj there so there's there's some fantasy football information for everybody (laughs) go with kj osborne you waited through (laughs) all the stuff about punting changes and now we give you the money advice we give you the stuff to nail your 53 minute roster pool and your fantasy draft yep you can uh mail us the checks when you guys get them thanks and do what my my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less so i'll say less